Hi, and welcome to Roundtable, a podcast by Women's Thing on women who are changing the faces of their industries. Today, we're talking about art, more specifically, women in the contemporary art world, how things have changed for them since decades past, and where we still have room to grow. We've brought together two women who represent different sides of that world, artist Betty Tompkins and art dealer Sarah Kay. We're meeting now in Betty's loft in Soho, New York City, which is filled with objects and artwork that she and her husband Bill have accumulated over the past 40 years. We're a few blocks away from Sarah Kay Gallery, which Sarah opened just last year in part to give female artists the recognition she feels they deserve. As a bit of background, these two women are particularly qualified to talk about art and feminism for different reasons. Betty has been in the New York art scene since the 1970s, when, as a recent art school graduate, she began making detailed paintings at a large scale, inspired by nothing other than her husband's porn magazines. These paintings went basically unnoticed for decades, until Betty got a mysterious call from an art dealer in 2002. But more about that later. Now for Sarah, in addition to promoting the work of female artists, she's also the founder of the Professional Organization for Women in the Arts, a nonprofit that brings together female art professionals to help them share skills and advice. Later this year, POW Arts will release data from the first ever salary survey focused on the visual arts. So, Benny and Sarah, you've known each other now for a few years, is that right? Right. We have. And how did you two meet? We met through our mutual friend, Renee Vara. I was living in London at the time, and uh, I think Renee just thought we would hit it off, and she was right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, Sarah, you were already familiar with Betty's work? I knew Betty's work. I had never met Betty in person, but I definitely knew Betty's work. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm not exactly sure when I saw it. I can't remember. I was, I was trying to think about when I first saw your work, and I, d- I don't know the answer to that. Um, and I was wondering if it's because we wasn't also... It was in London, that's It for definitely sure. was not. No, no, no. It was definitely, it was much earlier than... I was in London, I think, starting 2012. So it was much earlier than London. So you it must have been seen here. It. Yeah, I might have seen it, Mitchell's. I might have yeah. seen it there. So that was 2002. So that was many years after you first painted these works. Yeah, right? so I started painting them in 1969. And um, I... Stopped painting them in 1978. I just got so discouraged by the response that I was not getting. (laughs) And I had been censored in Paris in 1973 uh, when two pieces went over to be in a group show there. And uh, the government would not let them out of customs. And it took a lot of effort. This was pre-internet, pre-digital phones. A phone call from New York City to Paris was a lot of money. Mm -hmm. So it was all by snail mail. And months would go by between sending off a letter and getting it back. Uh, And um, I was very discouraged about the whole thing. And I was very young. I was in my 20s. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know who to contact. I didn't know very many people. Um, But eventually, uh, they were repatriated. I did get them back. But it was an ordeal. Uh, Fuck painting number six is now in the permanent collection of the Brooklyn Museum as a gift from Robert Gober and Donald Muffet, who, when I had my first show with Mitchell Algis, they were the first to buy. 
the very first, and now it's at the Brooklyn Museums, which I think is a lovely yeah. end for it. Uh, and it's in the fall. They're doing a show called Collection, and it will be in that show. And Fuck Painting Number 1 is in the permanent collection of Center Pompidou. Mm. Well, that's an ironic twist. That's great. Yes, isn't it? It is. They actually, um, when they decided they wanted to buy a piece, they said, what is the earliest censored piece you have. So I said, I fuck painting number one. <laughs> and they said, that's it, that's it. You know, um, which is interesting <laughs> because they are government sponsored as a museum. So good. <laughs> but so that good. was their point of view and I loved it. So you stopped painting those, the fuck paintings around 78. 78-ish. Right. Yeah. And then what came next for you? What I did after that was a series of paintings that used the defining noun of whatever it was I was painting or drawing. So if it was a dog, it said dog, 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 dog. If it was the sea, it said sea, sea, sea. If it was a bird, it said bird, bird, bird. And I did those into the 80s, at least the mid-80s. So do you do you feel like the art world, the environment for artists and particularly female artists changed uh, throughout your decades working and experiencing the, you know, gallery scene in New York? Yes and no. The reason I think women are more visible in the art world right now is because there's many, 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 many more galleries. So there's more opportunities. But in general... The statistics of percentage of women represent, represented in these galleries is uh, not really budged very much in 25 years. Hmm. And uh, we just look like we're doing better. And you have to realize when I first came to New York in 1969, the entire art world was 57th Street between 6th Avenue and Madison Avenue, and then going up Madison Avenue to the Allen Stone Gallery on 86th Street, and about half a block every once in a while in either direction from Madison Avenue. So one Saturday a month, you know, I would start 57th and 6th Avenue, and I would just work my way across and then uptown. And at a certain point, I started to talk to people in the galleries. You know, this was the world that I wanted to join. Uh, every world has a culture of its own, and there's certainly a sociability level uh, for each field that you can't be ignorant of, even if you're shy. You know, you have to make some effort to have people know who you are and like who you are. So I would start to talk to dealers, and I had already started the fuck paintings. So, and I thought they were really good, is the other thing. <laughs> and I, uh, I would talk to the dealers, and I would say, I'm working on this series. When I have a, enough of them, can I show you some slides? It was in the days of slides. Um, and they all said no. Every one of them said no. And the reason was... We do not show artists as young as you, and we do not show artists that are, are this close to their schooling. 
Come back in 10 years when you found your own voice. And the interesting thing about finding your voice is you know when you've done it. And I had. So I would just smile. And then about half of them would say, we don't show women, so just don't come back, no matter what it is you think you've done. When I had been an undergraduate student, um, there were enough exhibiting living female artists for me to be able to very conveniently ignore this. And it was presented to me as an undergraduate as a fact. You know, you're not going to make it in New York. There's no room for women in the New York art world. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, right before I got my BFA, one of my painting teachers said to me, uh, after graduate school, what are you going to do? And I said, oh, I'm going to go to New York and be an artist. And he said, the only way you're going to make it in New York is on your back. Wow. Yep. <laughs> and it made a big impression on me. And of course, I, you know, I got married. I went to graduate school. You know, I did everything and I forgot all about it. You know, it's not the sort of thing that you will yourself to remember. And um, I didn't remember him saying this until I had my very, very first appointment at an Upper East Side gallery to show slides. And I was in the elevator and this popped right into my head. I could hear his voice saying this to me. It had just been sitting in a little corner there all of those years, and um, when I got off the elevator, uh, instead of going into the gallery, I went into the women's room and threw up. I was t absolutely terrified. Uh, as it was, he was an older man, a gay man, not at all interested in me, and not interested in my work either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's something interesting in the story that you're telling that really struck me, which was... Um you said they, that these dealers at the time were not actively building a market for women. Mm -hmm. Okay, but actually, I think it was much worse, right? So that that's 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 passive, right? That that they that they weren't doing something, but actually, yes, what they you, were actively what, what we, discouraged. Well, I was going to say because <laughs> that's different from what the experience that you had, which was they were actively saying no. Right. right. They said, this we do correct. not show women artists. Right. So perhaps, you know, to go back to your question, Allison, you know, maybe we have made some progress in that maybe today gallery owners are not saying no, like an active, we will not build a market oh, for you. Part of so it maybe we're at the point, you know, which is uh, not passive, but um, it's not that either. Right. Do no. You know what, well, do you what happened in between? Oh. <laughs> was there was a law that was passed in New York that said that a potential employer could not ask you about your marital status, your sexual identity, and your plans to have children. There were whole categories of questions that were at their base totally misogynistic and meant to keep women out of the workforce or down in the workforce. Take your pick, don't make any difference. The effect is the same. And that law got passed and it was when I was living on Spring Street. So, oh, sorry. Uh, so it was before 1974. So sometime in the year or two before I moved to this place, this law was passed, and it was really 
It was really wonderful because before this law was passed, these dealers, you know, the few I managed to get by the time, get down, I was in Soho, I was easy to get to, uh, they were here anyway. So every once in a while, somebody would condescend to come to see me. The first question they would ask, do you have children? Second question they would ask, do you have plans to have children? Then they passed this law, and I went, oh, goody, goody, let's try and get people down here. And they couldn't ask. So they're trying to get the information other ways. Mm-hmm. And I would just, like, let them torture themselves. Because I had always been offended by the question. Because nobody was asking my husband at the time, who was also an artist, what his plans were to have children, or if he had children. You know, so I could see the difference right in front of me. So are you suggesting that things haven't changed much and that people just can't say that outright? Um, they, I mean, they I can't turn around and say— I think if things had changed a whole lot, we wouldn't be having a Me Too movement in this country. Yeah, yeah. And we are. Okay, so let me ask you this. You know, it's—I haven't asked too many artists this question, so I'm happy it's you. But, you know, so Allison said, you know, the part of the mission of my gallery— Right, mm-hmm. is to support the advancement of female artists. Which, yeah. Which, well, thank you. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but not, not everyone, most people, I would say, nor- normally the response is very positive, which is great. But every now and then people kind of look at me like, why, why are you doing this? Or, you know, should you be doing this? Like there, there's a, I wouldn't say there's backlash, but there's a, there's a question mark. Um, so I'm just, you know, curious as to your feelings about having that part of a gallery mission, and generally, you know, what gallerists could be doing more of? Well, I think it's wonderful that it's part of your mission because it's frankly addressing where we are. You know, we can't pretend that we have quality. Right. We don't. Um, Neither in the art world or in this country. Look where we're going. We're in the middle of the biggest backlash ever. To me, it's, you, you know, you have a choice. You're feminist or you're misogynist. Those are your choices. I don't see any middle ground. I was I was reading this this interview that you did, and the interviewer who I, I'm forgetting her name, but she was saying something like on a scale of one to ten, like where are you and like being way out there. Oh, and, Allison and, Ginger. Yes, yeah, Allison. <laughs> right, Allison. She wasn't asking me. She was telling right. me. Right, and you turned around and said like I'm way way out, and I liked your response, which is you know all I do is I get up in the morning and I do what I want. That's right. Right? So and for actually, me, yeah. that's the way out part, which somehow I think relates to this conversation. So, you know, putting the images aside, putting whatever one, you know, could they be, are they way out? Are they too much? Are they, right. Putting that aside. I think, you know, the fact that you said that. Oh, yeah. And you know, where is, is I got that point it, that's where, way out. Where I got it was when I got all of this rejection when I first came to New York, the first few years that I was here. Um, I found it, in a way, uh, very liberating. It's an odd thing to say, but when I was a student, we were not being prepared for the market, which students are now. They walk out of school, they're gallery ready. 
<laughs> or at least they think they, they think are. They, are. <laughs> they think they are. And a lot of effort has been spent in their education, making them articulate about their work. They're steeped in theory, uh, so they can approach it that way. Uh, when I went to school, it was in the de Kooning-Hoffman days. They started their careers in their 40s. So I really didn't have much expectation to start with. Uh, so these dealers making it so clear to me that there wasn't going to be any reward for what I was doing. You got two choices emotionally. You're either crushed by this, you know, boohoo, nobody wants me, you know, uh, or you're liberated by it. I was yeah. liberated by it. I felt free. I could do whatever I wanted. And I did. And I still do. Why would I change now? So this is in the 1970s when, uh, obviously, second wave feminism was really gaining speed. What was your relationship to that movement? Um, they rejected me. They didn't like Betty. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, it's... I never went to the meetings and I was never invited. Uh, by some very strict definitions, at the time, if you didn't go to the meetings, you were not a feminist. Emma Amos told me this because we were talking about uh, Emma Amos is an artist. And, and I asked her if she was in the WAC show. This was, you can time this conversation back to the WAC show. And I, um, I asked her if she was in it. And she said, no, nor should I be. And I said, what are you talking about? I mean, she's as feminist as you come. And she said, never went to the meetings. Therefore, not a feminist. <laughs> and I said, you got to be kidding. That's crazy. But she was very sincere in, the, in that attitude. And, um, I mean, they didn't post notices of the meetings up in Finelli's, and there was no internet, so people called each other on the phone. And I was never called. I never went to any meetings. And so you weren't a feminist. Oh, yes, I was. <laughs> <laughs> Damn tootin' I was. Yeah, of course, of course. But this, you know, it's it, it's so interesting because even today, you know, this this word, this idea of feminism is is so murky. When I think it's well, it's, there's it's, been so it, many it ways so of it. Simple in a it way. Each yeah. generation has sure. got such a different take on it, meaning of it, yeah. you know. And what I've been afraid of for more than a decade is a progress that we have made can disappear in a second. It can. Which we're watching it happen, it happen as yeah. we're talking. Uh, it can disappear in a second. And younger women know nothing else. Yeah, that's right. But this idea, and they're in for a real nasty surprise, I'm afraid. So, you know, obviously we're talking about feminism. So I think your women's word series is so relevant. I mean, it's relevant when you started. It's relevant today. It's, it's just always relevant. Um, unfortunately, it continues to be relevant. Yes, unfortunately. I, I really look forward to the day that it's not. Yes, me but, too. Yeah, but it is. Um, I was saying, it's funny. I was at this conference and I was saying, I really look forward to the day where I don't have to include support for female artists in my gallery mission. Like, I cannot wait for that to happen. Of course. You know? It'll be a different world. 
But anyways, this is something you did, this Women's Word series, um, which you started in 2002. Yeah, I had, you know, I talked a little bit about how I had done these word pieces Mm -hmm. in the late 70s and the 80s. And I had taken them out one day, you know, every once in a while you have to move things around. (laughs) I haven't looked at this in 20 years. Um, And I said, wow, these are really interesting. These are good. Um, and I was like admiring my discipline to have done these pieces. And I thought, wow, I should do more of this. This is, you know, because I was curious about my own work. Uh, after a while, you don't remember doing it, you know? So the pain of doing it goes away. And you look at the result and go, I wonder if I can take that someplace else. Because that's always the idea. You mm-hmm. can't do what you did. You have to go take it someplace else. So I started to fool around with some different ideas. And I sent out an email to everybody on my email list at the time and said, I would like to do another series using language, this time about women. Please send me your words and phrases about women. If it's not in English, please send me an accurate translation. Thank you very much. So that was all you asked? No other parameters? Nothing. That was it. Just anything about women that comes that to was, That was it. That was it. That was it. How many people did you send it to? Uh, whatever I had on my blast list, which was probably around 600 people. Okay. Sizable. Because it reached a lot of people. It reached a lot of people. (laughs) And also, um, I forgot that on my blast list, there were a number of blogs. Uh, So they started, they reproduced my email and said, you can list them here and we'll forward. So so it was great. It was great. So I got got over 1,500 unique words and phrases in seven different language and languages. And I also, um, when I started to organize them, uh, I just made a Microsoft doc and I just started listing them alphabetically or more or less alphabetically. When I got repeats, I would put an asterisk next to it so I wouldn't have to keep typing. You know, I think the asterisk was so much easier. Uh, And I was therefore able to kind of keep track of the responses and was very interesting. People did send me good translations, uh, which was good. You know, I thought if I was going to call somebody a cunt in Chinese, I should know in advance before I get punched. Uh, And so... um, I started, I just started on the pieces, and I started two different ideas at the same time. The first idea was uh, I had these old Toshin books, like Wheels and Curves, and one about smoking, and they were photographs from, like, the 1920s, 1930s, 1940s, that I really, really liked of women in, you know, like, softcore porn poses. So I took a a couple of those, three of those, and um, I thought it'd be interesting if the language sort of, like, drowns her out, because we're all, we're all defined by language, and this weird way, and it was on my mind. So 
I wrote words on the figures, and then I did one where I said, well, what happens if she's surrounded by the language that's defining her? So I did one like this. And then, um, and then I started to do them. I had some four-by-four-inch canvases, so I started to do them on those. And, of course, I got distracted into it, and I was still... I'm still working on the sex paintings at the same time. So there's only so many hours in the day. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, I had to, like, figure out how I was going to schedule this. And what I decided, I have this studio here in New York, and I also have a studio in rural Pennsylvania. So I decided I would only do it in Pennsylvania because in an interesting way, my day is much longer there, and it's not interrupted. You know, nobody comes to visit me there. So, you know, I have the whole day is mine. So I would work for a couple of hours in the morning on it. And then in, uh, in the winter, for an hour and a half in the afternoon, my painting wall is glared out. Um, just the sun comes in and I can't see well enough to paint. So um, I would say, well, this gives me something to do then. And there's so many processes to doing these paintings, you have to, first of all, you have to tape the edges of every single one of them. You have to put on base colors. You have to decide what the language is going to be. You have to get the letters down. You have to, you know, there's a lot of process to it. So it was a very good project for me because I could pick it up and put it down, pick it up, put it down as the day was progressing without it. Um, and I could give it my full attention, but it still wasn't interrupting other thoughts, you know? So early on, Uh, when I had done about six or seven, actually, I said to myself, you need a goal. Uh, (laughs) Otherwise, you'll never know when you're done. Give yourself a goal. (laughs) So I picked for reasons known only to myself a thousand. I decided I would do a thousand of them, mostly because it's a really absurd number. Mm -hmm. To do a thousand of anything is like, what are you asking for? But I wanted a goal, so I thought that my interest might flag now and again while I was painting them. So along the way, I said, oh, it would be fun to sort of mimic these big A bad boys. So I did de Kooning finger paintings. I used my fingers. I did Richter's. My, with a six-inch plastic ruler was my squeegee. <laughs> I did Pollock's. I did Fontana's. I, um, Morris Lewis, he was fun. Um, and I decided I couldn't do any more than 100 of any, no matter how much I loved doing it. <laughs> that when I reached 100, I had to stop and, and move on. So it kept me, I kept myself very engaged in it. As it turns out, I can't count, and I did way more. Did more. That's right. <laughs> of them, but when I started, when I started to get really involved in it, I thought I should see if language has changed. I started the paintings in 2013, so I said, "Well, things have happened." You know, uh, let's see if language has changed. So I sent out the email again, and this time, the one thing I added to the email was I promised anonymity because I was curious. I hadn't said anything about it, um, and I wondered what saying that would do. And what it did was open up the floodgates Mm -hmm. to stories Mm -hmm. when 
I told people that it would be anonymous. I got stories back, whole events, you know, ruined marriages, all sorts of things. It it was really fascinating to me. Um, Were there any words that were unexpected? Oh, they were pretty much all (laughs) unexpected. Really? Except for the four most popular. The four most repeated words in 2002 and 2013 were the same, same, which (laughs) really surprised me. Bitch, slut, cunt, and mother. What kind of uh, reactions did you get from that series when you showed the ones? Well, when I I showed them in 2016 at Flag Art Foundation here in New York, and... um, the reaction was actually beyond my wildest dreams. It was incredibly positive. You know, uh, hanging the show was really interesting because the idea was to get the pieces to start to talk to each other. That was really, really important to me. There were people who stayed for hours. We're not talking that they, you know, like they walk slowly through. Uh, This is what everybody thinks about women. (laughs) You know, here it is. Right, what they think about women or what they've heard said to them or said to other women. Some of them are very rattling. Yeah, you know, we had, we had, um, um. the lower, I think it's called the Lower East Side Girls Girls Club. Club? Yeah. Yeah. Uh They came. Oh, really? Yeah, they came. And I, Shut up, you know. So these are teens, huh? right? They're like teenagers. Down to 11. Okay, yeah. So it was younger. like 11 to like 16. Okay, yeah. I think. And the 11-year-olds were, they were a hoot. You know, they knew every single one of them. They were translating, you know. And what we also did at FLAG, and I did it when I showed the whole group at Gavlak Gallery in L.A., was we took one wall and had the signage on it. And then we had a table with index cards, push pins, markers. People could add their own, keep the piece going. And of course, what happened along the way is the Me Too movement. And I said, the news is giving you presents 10 times a day. Yeah, yeah. So I started copying what I was reading in the news. You know, and I do a lot of it um, I do a lot of it in the morning, you know, when I'm not really ready or prepared to do anything else. But I read the news and I find these quotes or paragraphs or events. And I, co- I figured out how to do copy and paste on my phone finally. <laughs> Last person in the world to figure out how to <laughs> do a copy and paste. Uh, <laughs> and I send them nice I send them to myself in an email called more. And when I find the next one, I find, just go back one, and I reply to it. So I keep building them up. And then once a week, I just put them all, take them all down, Mm. print them out, or copy them out. Uh, Never, never, ever in my life has my interest as an artist and what's happening in the world been so insane? Delighted, yeah. So I really, I really, that part I love. Betty, can you tell us a little bit about what happened in 2002, which was the time where you said you were discovered after all those decades of, oh, kind yeah, of sure. being relatively unnoticed? 
Yes, what happened in 2002 uh, was, and it happened about the same time I sent out that email, by the way. Uh, what happened was that uh, Jerry Saltz walked into Mitchell Alga's gallery and said to Mitchell, here, you should take a look at these, and gave him a set of slides that I had given him, sent mailed to him in 1998, 99, 97, somewhere around there. And I had sent them to him um, because somebody that I knew said to me, uh, I was at a panel discussion, and Jerry Salt says he's going to curate a show about sex. You should send him your old your slides of your old work. So I had to get, uh, my slides were so old, they were E4 processing, <laughs> and um, the last time we all used slides, it was E6. So I had to call up a photographer, and I said, can we make these slides usable? And he said, sure. It was Ken Shaw. I don't mm -hmm. know if you remember mm -hmm. him. Sure. Um, yeah, and he just kept shooting them with filters until he color corrected them. And he said to me, never send this set of slides out. <laughs> this is one set of dupes, dupe from this. Never let these out of your <laughs> possession. So I said, okay. And uh, this had taken months for me to do, you know, uh, to work with Ken on this. And so I, I sent started, I started sending them out, but I had the slide, and I sent Jerry Saltz a letter, and I said, Dear Mr. Saltz, I understand you're thinking about curating a show about sex. If you do, I hope you'll consider my work. Sincerely, Betty Tompkins, with an S-A-S-E. And I never got them back. So <laughs> I figured he threw them out, you know, which happens a lot of times, even with an S-A-S-E. But he hadn't. I don't know... I've never seen how neat or not Jerry's desk is or where <laughs> he had put them. I mean, if you look at my desk, you can see that virtually anything can get buried in it if it's out of sight for too long. Um, and uh, But he did find them, and he went to Mitchell, and uh, Mitchell called me up, and he said, I've seen a set of slides of yours, and I said, uh, who sent them to you? And he said... Oh, a critic, and I'm, and I'm thinking, who, who, who has this set of slides after all of these years? And he said, I'd like to come over and see these paintings. And I said, okay, when will you be here? When do you want to come? He said, I'll be there in 20 minutes. Hmm. Now, in my experience of a whole lot of rejection, Having a dealer call you up is amazing enough. Having a dealer say they're going to be there in 20 minutes is sort of off the charts there. And uh, I wasn't sure which work from the 70s he was interested in. So I took out a couple of the word pieces. You know, I took some of those paintings out. And I had, um, I had uh, one or two of the fucking Calcunt paintings stretched up for a retrospective that I had done a few years earlier at Monmouth College. So I took them out and I took out a set of slides and Mitchell walked in and he looked at the word pieces and he says, those are really interesting, but this is what I'm here for. And he 
points to the fact paintings. So, oh, okay, okay, okay. And um, he said, um, I am uh, thinking of doing a group show for the fall, and I'd like to have some pieces of yours in it. And I'll get back to you. If you don't hear from me and it becomes August, give me a call. So the summer comes and goes, and I call him up, and I go, I guess you changed your mind. And he calls me back, and he said, the show is not gelling. I don't like it, and I can't put on a show that I don't believe in. Um, he's just like us. Yeah. <laughs> and so I said, okay, thanks for letting me know. Okay. And then he said, how would you like to do a solo show instead? <laughs> and I'm going, what? And he said, let's do a solo show. And I said, well, the paintings aren't on the stretchers. And he said, well, we'll get them on the stretchers. And I said, the drawings aren't framed. He said, well, get them framed. And I said, you're not talking very far away. And there's no press release. He said, I'm a really good writer, Betty. And I said, I get back to you. It's a good phrase to know. Um, so Bill takes me out to dinner and he feeds me a lot of sushi. And he feeds me a lot of wine. And we come back and, you know, and he says to me over dinner, what are you afraid of? Why are you hesitant? And I said, well, what I don't want them to look like is that they were painted in the 70s. If they look dated, I don't want to show them. And to me, that's a very legitimate fear. I mean, you can... You can do a historical show like Sarah's going to do in September, mm -hmm. and things will look pretty much of their time. But when we're talking about the 70s and it's 2002, there's not very much time. You know, there's where's the history here? And if they look from the 70s, I'm not too interested. I'm a living, breathing, working artist, and I'm interested in doing what I'm doing. So... We come home, and Bill says, let's take them out. And they had been, for 30-plus years, rolled up under the pool table. And fortunately, I had done a good job of packing them. Good big tube. I rolled them face out. I put a sheet in between each one, and then a sheet around the whole thing. And then, uh, then I wrapped plastic around it and taped it up. So we pull it out, and we bring it into my studio, and um, he he unrolls a couple. I mean, the floor space isn't that big, and these are 84 by 60-inch canvases. So we unroll a couple of them, and he said, what do you think? And I said, they look like I just painted them. There's nothing dated about them at all. Was it the first solo show where you got a New York Times review? Absolutely. <laughs> and it was also the first time that these paintings were being shown in a solo show in the middle of Chelsea in a good gallery. It was an amazing experience. Do you think there was something about the time that you made them versus the time that they got the recognition that something had changed in what people were expecting or looking for? I in have art? no answer to this question. I know that with these pieces, I make a concentrated effort to remove myself 
from them so that it's the image and the person's reaction, that nothing comes between them. I think that's what's so interesting about your work, honestly, is that, yeah, someone can say it's way out, it's this, it's that. For me, in the end, it's exactly what it is, period. That's exactly right. Full stop. Do that's you know? it. That's it's it. Like, that's it. No justification, no excuses, no, no nothing. Nothing. That's right. It is this. Right. Done. And that's great. That's great. You know, you and I have shared stories or these stories together in the past. And I think, you know, the first time I heard how you were discovered in 2002, um, what's interesting, well, the first time you told the story to me, I was like, oh, she was championed by three men. But actually, yes. you were championed by four. Bill. Absolutely. Right? So, Absolutely. You, know, it's, you, you put had, him on the top of the for list. For sure. Of course. And, and that's, you know, that's an interesting thing because we're talking about feminism versus misogyny. But, you know, I don't think that we can forget, and I don't think it's fair um, to make it that black and white. And I think today, you know, I think part of the, part of the issue that we run into is that a lot of times, you know, women's conferences or, what, you know, whatever the setting is, it's, it's a lot of women talking to each other. Exactly. And, you know, I think, I don't think anything's really going to change unless everyone's on, on board. Absolutely. Because I'm the, very fortunate to have such a supportive partner. Huge. With my, huge. It, it's huge difference. Huge. And I know this because I had another husband once. And he yeah. was, any time yeah. anything happened good for me, he had a personal crisis. I had and the exact after, same situation. And after a while, <laughs> you know, you can't help but notice yeah. Yeah. that yeah. something yeah. has happened that was going to take all the energy that you have and put it towards solving his problem. Right. right. So I really do know the difference. Years you know, ago, like, when I had to make an artist statement, mine was art is mostly hard work. It was the only, <laughs> it was the only so thing I could think of so that good, in yeah. five years, 10 years, 20 years, would totally embarrass me. Yeah, art is hard work and takes a lot of courage. Mm -hmm. What else can you say? Yeah. 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 